You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom Brocha. This is on principle challenges in Jewish education, and I'm here with a fellow Erov, a Talmud Chacham, who has met a challenge in Jewish education with incredible success. The Surba Mirabonam series. You've seen the amount of volumes that have come out, the beautiful style that these volumes are written in, the yofi, the aesthetic yofi of the page. And you probably have heard about Chaburas throughout your neighborhood or your, your country of people that are learning this. And I have this host to be speaking with someone who is at the nexus of all of this, Rob Eli Azarovsky. Eli, I know we've been dancing around to try to get this to happen and Thank you for making time because the way I understand that you don't have much time. You are you are constantly churning this and working and churning this material out. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And it's a big schut uh, to be on this program and especially with somebody uh, somebody like you, Rabbi Kivalovitz, who I greatly respect and we know each other from previous lifetimes, I guess, from many years ago. Really a pleasure to be able to be here and, and, and talk with you. Let's talk about Surba and its original, how it began and how you got involved and what it is that you and your team are doing and are continuing to do. So that's the arc that we'll try to, and on the way, I'm sure we'll be able to gather up a lot of interesting nuggets about yourself and about how this work developed. So first of all, right, Surba Mirabonan, I think is the official title, right? Not Surba Midrabonan, Surba Mirabonan, right? Yeah, correct. Right. Sometimes in Shas, Surba Medirabona, like a Surba, right? And of course, the term originally means a young or very involved Talmud Chalcham, Surba Medirabona. The word Sorev has to do with heat. And in fact, the Gemara in Tainus says on Daftalit, I believe, that if you see a Surba Medirabona in Derosach, you see a Surba Medirabona who is extremely aggressive and excited about what he's doing and almost that could put you off. Don't, don't, don't get scared. So you always, again, and I think if you go through Shas, you find that the Tzurba Merabonet is sort of the young person. It's the person, the, the, if not the initiate, it's someone who's in the prime, someone who's just really at that moment. Is, it, it, does the title have anything to do with that material, or is it just something you need to come up with? You think? Okay, so I can... Partially answer your question. I, I was not involved, for, for better or for worse, in the choosing of the title and the initial development of the series in Hebrew. Um, that was done many years before I got involved. I'll tell you how how I see it, and I think how we see it as a as a program, and in terms of how it, how it relates to that title, even if I didn't specifically have anything to do with that choosing, and it could be that the original founders of the Surah Rabbanan in Hebrew could give you a much better explanation of why they chose that title. Hebrew was started by uh, Rabban Sion al-Ghazi, uh, who's now a Roshiva of uh, Yeshiva and Ramat Gan, many years ago. I don't know exactly how many years, maybe around 20 years ago or so. He, at the time, was a, was a Rebbe in, in Karim Biavna. So he, he realized that, that there was a need, specifically, again, in his, uh, when he started in the Israeli, on the Israeli scene of, uh, of Torah learning, for a halacha program um, for Balabatim, for people that are not necessarily learning in Yeshiva, and not necessarily people that had gotten you know, smicha, let's say, and were serving in, in a rabbinic capacity, to learn halacha in a way which was not just to give you the bottom line, but also to make it interesting and to be able to allow you to appreciate uh, the back and forth and the development of halacha along the way. 
So essentially what he did with his uh, his Hebrew team was to create a program and to publicize it and really develop it and extend it to, to many, many different places in, in Israel, that a, a way that that people could get involved in the learning, not just to see like, what does the Mishnah Brua say is the bottom line, and not just to see like a Gemara that maybe they may or may not have learned when they're in yeshiva, but while they're, even while they're in the working world, to be able to continue their um, their, their Torah learning in a high level way and in a way which is practical and interesting and, and relevant. So in the Hebrew, basically what, what we have is, is through all sorts of different topics, beginning from the beginning of Shulchan Aruch and Arachim through Choshen Mishpat, of course, not every topic, but many of the most practical, relevant ones today basically developed uh, a curriculum for sources beginning from the Gemara and tracing the Halakha through the Rishonim and through the Achronim and through the modern day postgame, of course, in very short, short forms that people could participate in the program, come to a shear once a week, maybe do a little review on their own, and still be able to feel, to come out with, with a good understanding of many, many Halakha issues to understand where it comes from and how it got to the Halakha today. And to, at the same time, what you mentioned before, to be involved in the discussion of the back and forth, not just to see the, the, the bottom line, but to feel that they're actually part of the process of discussing, understanding why is this case like that case? How did we get to um, where we are today? And again, of course, every program has its advantages and disadvantages, but overall, it was very, very successful uh, in getting people to to get into this this mode of understanding the halakhic so issues the, are. Uh, and, so yeah. really the, uh, the, this, when Al-Ghazi conceived it, as you say, he conceived it for Balabatim, as we call them, who had had yeshiva training, who had had some sort of high school or maybe even a year or two post-high school. It wasn't meant for, you know, a person borderline, a chiloni or someone who didn't really go through uh, a type of learning in the yeshiva. Someone who would, let's say we know the Mamachadati schools, even in the high schools, they have like Jewish ideas and, and, and Jewish law, such a person, although he might keep mitzvot and might know what to do when he goes to Beit Knesset or whatever it is, or uh, make sure that he keeps an orthodox lifestyle, isn't necessarily the audience for this this book, for when Al-Ghazim, because Correct. that person is very much, if he's keeping mitzvot, he's very much bottom line centered, and then he's off to work and going home and watching TV, whatever it is that he wants to do. But he he does he wants to stay within the framework of that. He wants to stay in the framework of religion, and he'd like to know how to follow things properly. We call that the she'eni yodei elisho of, of 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 our world. We're talking about someone who had the taste of learning, but as you say, for whatever reason, didn't stay in the kaisle besmedrish through uh, years and years and becoming a kailonik or a rov or something. It was absolutely designed for, for people that had had a, had a yeshiva background. And that you see when you look at the Hebrew version, that's very obvious because there are many things in the Hebrew that somebody who has yeshiva training and spent time learning in yeshiva for a couple of years will probably understand with minimal explanation. Um, and there's not so much explanation that's that's given in the Hebrew. And at the same time, it, it, invol- it allows people like that um, to, be, to be involved in learning many years later. Now, they're actually using Sobermir Abanan in yeshiva high schools, in the, at least in the Dati Lumi system here in Israel, and in Midrashot also, the girls' high schools. I just saw this past week in the newspaper 
that they actually had uh, some sort of contest for uh, schools involved in Suba Meirabanan on the high school level, girls and boys, uh, with like a chidon, you know, like a contest for them. And they had a, a winner, a couple winners. Um, but be- because of the, the program, they understood that even in the high school world, this is actually something which can be very successful in allowing high school students also to appreciate um, where halacha comes from can be practical today. Right. So, so therefore, it's actually reaching and encompassing an audience it wasn't necessarily intended for originally. Correct. And as maybe we'll get to later, that's also true in the North American market as well. We know that one of the things that, that prevents a lot of people, you know, especially in a world of clutter, is, you know, am I going to buy all these books? Um, the, the, your, your book, the one that the English one, and it's not just English, of course, it's English and translated sources, it's it's a it's not exactly a paperback that you would pick up, um, you know, in, in in a dime store or a, you know before you get on an airplane. It has a certain thickness and solidity to it, but it also isn't like just a heavy volume. And it's sort of it's sort of in the middle. In one way, it's a safe but it's not a big heavy tome that you have to you know schlep yourself to put up on a on a high shelf. In the Hebrew version, was it also that way, or was it a, was it more a a hardcover safer? The original Hebrew was actually also in soft cover. They also had basically a series of, I think, 12 shiurim or so in each Hebrew, what they call choveret, you know, each Hebrew booklet. Um, you can still get them today in Israel. They still sell them. They're still very, very widespread. Um, and for people that are using it on their own or traveling, or even if they bring it you know, to a weekly shir, um, that's still actually probably the easiest format for people to have. Uh, what they did is after they finished the Hebrew program, meaning after they went through all of the different topics they wanted to do through the different sections of Shulchan Aruch, they also printed it in a large hardcover form, which is more, I think, I think about six volumes, maybe the four sections of Shulchan Aruch and maybe two or three for Achaim. Uh, so that format is much easier for somebody who wants to have it as a reference set either in his home or you know somewhere else that uh, if he has an office, that format is is much more condensed. It's not you know, 30 smaller volumes. It's six big, big volumes in, uh, in hardcover. And that's also, I see it when I go different places in different Bate Medrash in Israel. I see it all over the place. You can have a teacher's edition, but the teacher needs to do his work as well. So I, so I guess, although, as you say, this gives the reader, the, 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 the fellow or, 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 or woman, a sense of how halachas works, develops, where we get to this bottom line, there also needs to be someone that who does a little bit more, isn't just reading these sources, but is actually able to put them together, is able to explain them, not in a way, you've heard this before, there's the sage on the stage and the guide from the side. There's still, even to be the guide from the side, you have to at least be a little bit ahead of your of your students. You need to sort of have a sense of things. You need to maybe even do some extra work. And these Surba Marabonan original groups we're dependent on somebody leading the show, right? Yes, that, that's definitely true. And that's still, that still is the case. Ideally, it's supposed to have uh, a chabura or a shir that takes place in different communities, and it still happens. And there have been you know, thousands of people in Israel that are learning this, usually together with, with a magid shir, somebody who gives the shir, who spends a few minutes or a few hours um, preparing the shir beforehand, and is familiar with the material and knows how to um, present it in a way both which is accurate and can explain some of the background of things that are not necessarily explained completely in the book itself, as well as also to be able to know how to bring it to a to an audience in a way that which makes sense. And also, just practically speaking, there's not always enough time to learn everything in the shear. So the Magachir also 
often has to choose which things are more important than which. Just mentioned Rav Al-Ghazi, he happens to live in, uh, in a place called Yad Yamin, for those who have heard of it. So I was actually a resident of Yad Yamin uh, for until a couple of years ago. He gives a, he still gives a shear every week, and I've heard him give his shear. He goes through it very quickly, and even he, who started the program, often has to choose how to decide which things do you teach, which things do you not teach, and that's also an important part of a of, of a good teacher uh, to explain it well, and also to know what to leave in and what to leave out when you transmit the material to your students. You need to have someone who has even more understanding than what's in the safer itself, uh, who's perhaps even gone through the Rishonim in the Gemara, who's seen the Beis Yosef, not just the Shulchan Aruch, but has actually seen the Beis Yosef before. And by the way, just parenthetically, you know, it sounds like, you know, we show you the sources from the Gemara uh, to the practical halacha. I mean, the Beis Yosef is obviously the first stop for deciding how each Keta is going to be, right? Because the Beis Yosef already has the Gemara. He has the salient Rishonim. If the Shulchan Aruch is where you're now going to branch out from, Probably the Makairis, I'm, I'm saying it's not like research discovering, you know, um, you know the, the lost Rabbon and Savroi somewhere, you know, or, on, on Kotchev, right? You know, the Beis already gives you a certain roadmap. And I think that that was probably the roadmap of the original editors and writers, Ogazi, and maybe even yourself. And I'm saying the Magenshir could probably do that as well, just in order to be as stark as possible. These Magide Shir... Were, were they getting some compensation for the extra time they were doing, or they would just do it with Shem Shemayim usually? I don't think so. I think everybody who's who's doing it is is doing it not necessarily because they're getting paid for it. But I'll give you the perspective that I would I would suggest is like this. I agree with everything that you said, certainly about looking at the base Yosef as the roadmap as the roadmap, and certainly that's true in many of the Tzuramir Abanan Shiurim. Of course, every sugya is different, and you know as well as I and many other people that not every sugya only revolves around the, ba- the base Yosef, but certainly overall, that's definitely the place that that the, the Hebrew team, as far as I know, and certainly myself when I when needed, look to try to find you know direction for how to take three shonim that are relevant for practical halacha and then branch out from there. When it comes to the Magid Shir, uh, the way I, I would look at it is, is that I think many, certainly in Israel, and I think the same thing is true in, in the United States as well, many people that would be willing to give a shir anyway, either in the community as Rabbanim or people that are interested in teaching or people ask them to give a shir or sometimes, as I mentioned, in schools, I think many, many of them anyway would be giving shurim on halacha. And what this did is this made sort of a framework for the Rabbanim have an easier time rather than a harder time to transmit and, and to teach some of this material. Meaning before this, the idea was that many people certainly did learn halacha, but it wasn't necessarily, at least in, in this world, it wasn't necessarily a structured program. And people that wanted to give shiur on these topics or to teach them basically had to start from scratch, from making their own source sheets and their own direction. Here, it's much easier because you already have in a booklet that everybody can follow, you already have the beginning of where you can start how to how to run the sugya and how to teach it and where, where where to learn it from and where it goes. And from there, of course, ideally you should have a Magid Shir who is familiar with other things. But the point is he doesn't have, he doesn't have to start from scratch himself. Even if he knows what to teach, he doesn't have to start, you know, on his own trying to, to search or understand what's the best way to tr- transmit this material. He already has a model and a guide for himself and also for all the rest of the people that have the booklet. Having it in a safer psychologically means they're going to take it more seriously. It's something that they can hold on to. And because it's in these bite-sized paragraphs, it doesn't overwhelm. And I think that's the, that, that's the empowerment 
of the, the students, despite the fact of, of, of what they might need, the Rebbe or the teacher, the Magachir, the Moreh, to, to direct them, they're already halfway involved. And I think this leads us, I think, to my next point, which we, we, we talked about, you know, and I know this is something that, that, that you're proud of, and I'm not sure exactly if it's all yours, Fus. I know it's the English team, is that when I was first discovered Surba in Hebrew, it was in the Yitzhak and of course, I didn't have the actual paper volume, but I saw essentially what the pages were like. The English version is totally different in the layout, um, the aesthetic aspect of it. True, you needed to translate, and that was important. But even the the the, the glossy paper, the color that was involved, um, all of those things make it look like a completely different. And again, I didn't have the original Hebrew with me. But it looked totally different. It was almost like, you know, it, even the Hebrew was more appealing. The English program for Tzermi Rabban is really in the schut of three organizations that basically worked together to make this happen and that worked together to, to get it started in the first place. Number one was the Hebrew Tzermi Rabban. Rav Al-Ghazi and his team, they understood that this really was a, a great potential for um, the English-speaking world, both in Israel and even more so outside of Israel, um, and they felt that it was important to begin to to spread the Torah that they had they had they had brought to the Torah Mirabat in Hebrew to an English-speaking public as well. Number two, the other two partners that were and are very much in, involved in this are Manhigut Toranit, which is part of the Kol Eretz Chemda, which is a Kol uh, that trains Dayanim uh, in Yerushalayim mostly Israelis, though there have been actually quite a few English speakers that have gone through the program as well. So Eretz Chemda also has a program called Manigut Toranit, run by Rav Daron Pavlishuk, who basically, the, the program trains after, they have, it's basically a, a kolel for post-smicha, Avrechem really, uh, in Israel, again, many Hebrew-speaking and some English-speaking as well, to train them for going on shlichut. And Rav Daron Pavlishuk, as part of this program, the program and Eretz Chemdan, uh, the people involved, they decided to take this on as a program of theirs as well, the English Tzorbim Rabbanan. And they've also been very you know, instrumental in, in pushing this forward, obviously. And the third, uh, the third partner is Mizrahi Olami, World Mizrahi. They also have taken this on in, in many forms of public publicity, financially, and many other ways of making this their program. So the combination of the three organizations together has really been uh, instrumental in making the, the Tzorbim Rabbanan in English the way that it is today. And they, of course, uh, hired me more towards the beginning to to, to begin to get this started. Um, Rav Daron Pavlishuk uh, was the one that uh, spoke to me originally, even though I had also spoken to Rav Al-Ghazi. So Rav Daron, Rav Pavlishuk, and the other people involved from Mizrahi and from Arigut Torani, they understood that to make something successful in the English-speaking Torah world, it really needs to have um, uh, an attractive look in terms of the book and in terms of the pages and the style of the sources. So what needs to be done to make that happen is you have to get some, you have to have a vision, number one, of what you want it to look like. And number two, you need to have some very good graphic designers that know how to put that in, put that plan to make that plan a reality and also are familiar enough with the yeshiva background to understand what the sources mean and how you make the sources flow together uh, and all the things like that. So that's essentially, uh, in short, what, what happens. We decided that it was very important to have a certain graphic design and the graphic designers basically made it what it is today. I didn't tell them exactly how to make it, but 
you know, as they, they put it together, we told them we should have a certain format with sources, uh, with certain colors, with a certain section based on the Hebrew of explanation and the sources. And they put it together with the color. And we were very happy. And since then, it's developed more. And, uh, and thank God, the way that it looks today, as you mentioned, is really a very attractive. Ellie, with your, t- your typical modesty, you slipped in. And they called me. And how did Ellie Azarovsky, Rav Ellie Azarovsky, become, you said you were living in, in the same place as uh, Rav Ghazi, but how did, uh, that's not a way to get uh, such an important position. How is it that you became the, that central figure? The main answer is called Siyat uh, Many of us in this business know that things, it doesn't matter whether you're Roy or not, um, the many things HaKadosh Baruch Hu may have thought that that you were the right person for the job. And I feel that it sort of slipped to me that uh, I, I fell into the rule, basically, even though I, I did look for it a little bit. I'll, I'll explain it in a second. But without Siyat Dishmai, without HaKadosh Baruch Hu deciding that apparently I was the right person for the job at the right time and the right place, certainly would, would not have happened that way. That being said, I'll tell you the natural part of how things developed. From my end, so I... As I went through smicha and wayu, even a little bit before, but certainly during and after, the halacha was always something that I very much enjoyed learning. Through some of my, a number of my Rosh Yeshiva in, in Yeshiva University, both uh, in, in the United States, in New York, and also in the, the Gruz Kolel in Eretz Yisrael. So I really got turned on, as they say, to, to learning halacha. Uh, learning halacha both originally in you know, the, the quick form and then the more the proper form of going through as many sources as you can from the beginning through the practical halacha was something that I, I very much enjoyed doing and I did uh, myself for, for quite a few years. And when I started to teach uh, after we made Aliyah, after I finished the Kol Elyon in Yeshiva University, which is this post-Micha Kol in YU, so we made Aliyah and I started to teach in a number of different places. And in general, I most of the time was teaching halacha. I don't remember if that was because I wanted to do it or because they asked me to, but essentially, again, um, that's what I ended up doing. For American students, almost all English-speaking students that come to Israel for the year or for two years, both for boys and for girls, and uh, I was able to, to teach in, in different places many shurim on halacha, and that's where some of uh, my, maybe we'll get to in a few minutes, but some of my additions to the Torah Meirabon, and in addition to the Hebrew, many of that, much of that came from my experience in teaching when I myself had to figure out how to put together different shiurim on practical halacha, and my goal was to teach practical halacha, but at the same time, give a sense of appreciation of the process, where things come from, and why halacha makes sense, and why it's important. So after all that, I then got involved in a few other things along the way uh, through the Steinsaltz, the, the English Steinsaltz Gemara, as well as the Tanakh and a few other projects. Um, so I was involved in that, that presented itself. But I always, Halakha was always the thing that I felt, you know, for myself, I, I really wanted to teach and to, and to give over. If you're familiar with the Rav Yosef Tzvi Rimon in Alon, Alon Shvut, so Rav Rimon, his, he also has a center for Halakha, and I worked with them also for a couple of years, uh, writing some curriculum books, which are still used in some, in some schools. Yosef Tzvi Rimon, you ended up having a connection with? So we worked through their, their, his organization. So we wrote halacha curriculum in English for schools in, in America, which is not the topic of our conversation right now. But again, many some schools still still use that that curriculum. And from there, I was looking for other ways to to develop my writing skills in halacha. So I found out that the Tzorim Rabbanan might be looking to uh, to develop an English speaking program. I spoke to Raval Ghazi, but at that point, the time was not right. This was already five or six years ago. Only a year or two after that, after I had spoken to him individually, then after Manigut Toranid and 
uh, World Mizrahi Carnival. That's when Rav Daron Pablashak, who is officially uh, the head of the English-speaking Tzor program, Rav Daron came back to me and said, we, we would like you to, to be involved in this. And again, the Siat Dishmaya part was that we all lived in Yad Yamin. Rav Al-Ghazi at the time had moved to Yad Yamin, and Rav Daron Pablashak had also moved to Yad Yamin from South Africa a few years before that. And I had been living in Yad Yamin for a couple of years. Now, since then, we've moved away. Uh, but at the time this happened, the Siat Dishmaya and the Hashgacha, divine providence, was that we were all in the same place and we were able to get this, uh, to get sort this of off like the ground. The, sort of like the Beis Yosef and the, uh, and the Mari Beirav all being Tzfas <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> Lahavdil. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so thank God, once it got started through that, then we were able to, to get the program off the ground. And thank God I gave it, you know, my, my part of it. The translation and the editing was much more on me. Now we have a whole team. But Baruch Hashem, since then, we've seen a tremendous amount of success. And I just mentioned what, to develop what you said before a few minutes ago, the fact that it's a program also that gives so much more of a structure and a positive reinforcement to people than just having random shiurim here and there, which is essentially what people did before that. And, you know, what I did in my teaching, now a structured program through Tzor and other similar programs is really what gives people the, the motivation to go forward and to learn halacha in a way which is interesting and, and exciting and to understand you have the books there and there's a whole series to go through. It's a very, very, very important so, part you of know, this. You mentioned you know, one of the skills that people consistently work on. Even the best prose writers you know, would, would spend hours at their notebooks, stuff that never, got, never gets published. So writing is something that uh, you can always work on the same way, you know, Dvarim always Tzrikim Chizik, you know, one is Talmud Teira. And the specific Chochma of how to write is also something that you work on. You know, you might look back 10 years ago at something you wrote and say, oh, that was pretty good. You might be embarrassed. There might be something that you write later. So this was something. And, and, and remember, halacha isn't like, you know, how shall I describe thee like a summer's day? It's not necessarily creative writing in the way of setting a mood and tone. But if it's just going to be bare bones translation, once again, it's the reader who's going to read it is going to be confused. Even the Shulchan Aruch himself, which has become, you know, ensconced as the ultimate book of Allah, is also not written so wonderfully. Shulchan Aruch Arav and the Aruch HaShulchan, in many ways, restate concepts and ideas to make the reader be able to understand them. So you had a challenge here to be able to translate core sources and also to translate, even whether it's the Psokim that come later, whether it's Ben Sian Abishol or uh, Rav Nissen Karelitz's works and, and Chutshoni, whatever it is, or, or, or Yalkut Yosef, translating is not so simple. Did, did you find that you had to really work to, to make it happen? My advantage coming in was that I'd already had quite a few years of experience in writing and especially writing certain you know, things related to halacha. So it wasn't like I was coming, I was starting from scratch. That was a big help because to start you know, this type of field, writing, translating halachic sources without any background or experience before is not an easy thing to do and, and not necessarily the wisest thing to do. So I was lucky that I already had that to begin with. At the same time, as you said, it absolutely takes quite a bit of time um, to translate. And, you know, you realize through translation that you often, if, if you don't understand the source properly, you can't translate it properly. So in order to translate it properly, you really need to make sure that you understand it properly and you can convey those ideas, not only in a way that makes sense, but also change the language and turn it from, from Hebrew into, into English. And that definitely was something which was a challenge. 
And uh, thank God, uh, now, a couple of years later, we have a, be- a better system in place to address one of the things that, that you mentioned about to making sure that, that other people can understand the way that you write it. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, it was mostly me and Ravdron Pavlishev, the two of us together, basically uh, translated it, and I edited it a little bit, uh, or a lot, but that was about it. Uh, and thank God, as the program progressed, and thank God, uh, financially, we're able to, uh, to get a number of very, very uh, big donations. The wax. Lacks yeah, so right. So Michael Lax is one of the, the primary donors, donors for the entire series. Uh, his name is in the newer volumes in all of them at the beginning. And a big, big thank you goes to him and as well as to all the other donors who have uh, donated money for the other, other volumes in the series um, and continue to do so. So now we have a whole team of me, of Daron, and four or five translators that go through the material. And essentially for every shear, ideally, at least the way that it works is that we have one person or two people who translate it, and then I edit it. And some of the shear that I translate or I edit, I often will send back to somebody else to look it over again to make sure that we were on the same page and that at least two or three at least two, sometimes even three people have seen the material and you know, know that, uh, that it makes sense. Allowing uh, a, a team to work together and to empower the other people and to listen. And that's something that works in any, any business or any sort of endeavor, whether it's a school or it's a yeshiva, whatever it is. And I think that's part of what you, you, you've done and you've done it successfully, recognizing the greater goal that we're all after. You know, Rav Kook Zatzal was working, of course, on the Birurei Halocha and on the, and, you know, the Gemaras that came out, of course, um, from Rav Kook and his Talmidim. I think in his lifetime, the only thing that came out was Bates, I think. I'm not, right? But, but then, Exactly, but it was not very many, only a few, maybe just that. Right. And then, but that style, but he was yeah. work like on the Halocha, like, and this is... You know, the, I think it's, it's called Halacha Brura. He yeah. worked on exactly getting the psak from the Gemara, and he wanted those Gemaras to be printed. Rav Kook, wanted these to be printed, and people asked him because, of course, he was a Veltzgoin. He he was a genius off the charts in terms of was able to do. If you if you read what contemporaries write about him, whether it's Rav Zevin or Rav Moshe Clears. And others who write about him, these are all, both of those men I mentioned are Tamid Chachamim Anokim, the Torah Saaretz, and of course from Zevin and everything that he wrote. And they mention how Rav Kook was able to hold forth without any preparation on almost any Stugi and Shas down to the all the Rishonim and Achreinim. But he was working carefully on this. And one of, I don't know if it was his son or one of his Talmidim said, What Rebbe, you know, he says, This is very important. You think it's just gribble or ah? You think it's just <laughs> like like small time work getting the exact point here and and making sure that this is done is it's a it's an effort and maybe you'd like to fly in the in the shamayim and 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 and, and be machadish chidushim leroyz but this is important for Claudius. So as as Rishlema Zalman also worked so copiously with Rav Neubert when it was clear to Rishlema Zalman of Neubert that Shmir Shabbos Kilchos, which of course in many ways is sort of a um, an antecedent to to Tzurba in some way, the idea for the Israeli-speaking Balabas who understands learning a little bit. But Rishlema Zalman understood that he worked on those footnotes. He wanted to make sure everything was written perfectly in his name, that Rev, what Rev Neubert had, had done. So this is really admirable. Besides the glossy, pretty aspect of it, the colors and this, there's other things that are different, I believe. Like, you know, I mentioned 
Now, the, the Hebrew also has a little bit of biography, but I, it seems like the, the English has a little more. Given that much of our audience, though not all, much of our audience is much more Ashkenazi-leaning than the people that are studying the story about in, in Israel. So we often will cut down just a little bit on some of these Sephardic sources that are quoted, not because we have anything against them. They're terrific. But given that many in Chutzlaretz and even in Israel itself, English speakers that are much more familiar themselves are Ashkenazim and are not so familiar with these Sephardic sources, they we don't want to weigh them down that most of the readers feel this is too much. Why are you quoting so many Sephardic sources like you mentioned Yalkut Yosef and Orlit Zion and Rav Ovadia and Rav Mordechai Eliyahu and the Ben Ishchai and who knows how many how many others. So we, we try to balance that a little bit more and try to give it a little bit more of an Ashkenazi flavor while at the same time uh, maintaining the fact that there are specific Pisgah Halacha for Sephardim that are often different than Ashkenazim. So what you will find in the book very much emphasizes you know the difference between Ashkenazi Psak and Sephardi Psak on things which the Psak is, uh, is different which is certainly true in the Hebrew as well, but at the same time, cut down a little bit if there's three or four different sources in the Hebrew expressing the Sephardi side, so we may cut it down to one or two. And the Hebrew side often does not explain a lot of concepts and a lot of things that flow from one source to the next that somebody who learned in yeshiva for a couple of years may already be familiar with, but we don't necessarily assume that all of our English readers are familiar with those things. So we often do in the English is I'll mention a couple points. Number one, uh, we often will add in additional notes on the bottom of the page to explain concepts which are not necessarily explained in the Hebrew, but we feel that for the English reader, either who will be part of a shear or who's not part of a shear, either way, concepts that they may not be familiar with, which, is, which are helpful and important to know. That's number one, one thing that we, that we tried to add it in English. Number two, we also added in quite a bit the explanatory material in between the sources. So in the Hebrew, they left it purposely vague in many cases to sort of give room for the Magid Shir to discuss on his own. And we felt for the English that it was extremely important to add in really additional material along the way to make the flow clear from one source to the next and to really dot the I's and cross the T's, as we say in English, and to really make sure that it's clear how we get from one source to the next, how to trace the halacha from the beginning to the end with, again, of course, in short form and not quoting every single source. But in the Hebrew, sometimes where that's not so clear, we try to add an additional explanation along the way to explain if the Gemara doesn't have a summary, we'll often put in a little bit of a summary of the Gemara or a long piece from a tshuva. So we'll often say afterwards, we'll explain that to summarize this, we'll bring out two or three important points that you uh, that you see from there that may not necessarily be in the Hebrew. And the last point that's very important is that we often also added sources, not only to give this point, sometimes if there were sources that we felt would be helpful in elucidating or clarifying points, but also for the the seaboard for the uh, the English speaking community, both in in America and in other countries, and as well as in Israel, and there are many postkim that are English speakers, and many books in English speakers that have become classics that are not necessarily uh, mentioned in the Hebrew. And I tried, I and we, our team, have tried hard to include many of those sources in the in the English speaking Sorbonne as well. So, for example, let's say a tshuva like Rav Moshe, Rav Moshe Feinstein is quoted many times in the Hebrew. But sometimes we found other things in the English where he's quoted. We'll often bring quotes from other posts that are not necessarily quoted as much in the Hebrew. For example, um, in the last year, uh, I added in a quote from uh, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky and something to do with Habakas Neros, um, which he added another American posik uh, from the Yeshiva University side. So sometimes we'll quote things from Rav Herschel Schechter or from Rav Yosef Dov Salavechik, Zatzal, you know, things that they said, or Mordechai Willig, other poskim that have expressed opinions about certain things. We had a quote from Rav Schechter on Tfilas Haderach, which we're putting in in the, the volume that 
that's coming out soon about Tilas Aderach when crossing over the George Washington Bridge. Uh, we also sometimes quote uh, sources from the OU or the Star K or other cautious organizations related to important topics that they mention. So with all these things, we try to make it more something that English speakers can relate to and not only sources from uh, the classical postkim and some that are not such classical postkim that the Hebrew story about and makes reference to. It's really much more of a range, uh, greater range that we bring to bring to the table for for the English. That's in short. I, I want, one of the things I complimented you about before and about Surbin in general, and I think this is true about Eretz Chemda and Manhiga Toranit, is that even the Hebrew, and you know, which which perhaps goes a little bit lean on Ashkenazi or American skim type sources, but the general impression you get is that we are not polarized and that it isn't necessarily just this mahalach. Many times you have even websites dedicated to Sephardi Aloha, almost an absence completely of the Ashkenazi voice. And, you know, even the author of the Piskei Chuvis uh, was once, um, I think I told you this, he was once, you know, in Harnof, accosted by people. And again, the Safer, of course, is a, is a tremendous hit. You know, it's one of the most, it's a classic already. You use it all the time, in, right? He was once asked, he said, well, why is it that you don't quote an, an, uh, these other Litvish sources, these other postgim? He says, look, I I go from where I my world was. I lived in a more Hasidic background, and these are the postkim that I'm. You want you could write your own safer. So, as great as the Piskei Chuvis is, it also does not give you the panorama of halacha. And when, and and as I said to you, I believe this is more important than just being well rounded in halacha. It's well rounded as a Jew, as a human being, as part of Klal Yisrael. We we have such a an Eretz Yisrael especially a tendency to pigeonhole everything. I mean, we as humans want to do that because we are weak. We're not the Rabbanu We we don't know who a person is. We want to judge him by the yamaka. We want to judge him by the, the 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 pictures of who he has behind him on a Zoom on a Zoom interview. We want to judge him on on, on things, and therefore we also put things in different as as we say in in a certain area. What Surba does, and what I think the English does magnificently, is say, look, we're all part of this. Uh, Eretz Chemda, I think, stood out in this way, whether it was in the Mara Bezek or other things, that everybody is part of it. It's not just, well, I, I follow this one. He, uh, well, well, that guy, do you see the way he looks? He walks around without a hat and jacket in the street, like Rabbi Yaakov Ariel or whatever it is, or you know, or Epstein from Chevel Nachlos, whoever, oh, I can't quote him. No, everybody is part of this halachic laboratory because when when halacha or Torah is, and we're not talking about Issam or Sorish from, you know, from the reform or from JTS, we're talking about not changing halacha, we're talking about dealing with the Makairis and understanding them and going back and forth and, and seeing that. And I think that is such a positive uh, reinforcement and it could shatter a lot of the barriers that don't allow the Hasidic world, to understand the Litvish world, that don't allow the Dati Wumi world to properly comprehend the contributions of the Haredi world and vice versa, the Haredi world not understanding that. In other words, what would happen here is destroying the concept of worlds, destroying the concept of different worlds and operating in different areas. But Tyra gives us the chance to jump into that Yama Talmud, the Yama of learning, where we're all in this soup wonderfully together. 
understanding that there's going to be perhaps a different Natiya, just like everybody is different. So I, I think that's one of the advantages um, of, 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 of beyond making balabatim, giving them a geshmak and halacha. It actually, I think, works for Achtas Yisrael in a way that the Rabbeinu Shalom planned it. Rameyar Shapiro, it wasn't so much, obviously, he wanted to develop a certain understanding of the daf, but it was more about Klal Yisrael being on the same page. I think both in the Hebrew and the English, as you said, is something which is really important for us to, to collect different uh, sources and different opinions from across the spectrum, from Ashkenazi, Sephardi, Haredi, Datilumi, modern Orthodox, uh, America, Israel, other other places. Um, and that's something we've really, really tried to do. And, and Baruch Hashem, I think it's really succeeded. And you get to see, as you said, you know, the playing field and within the halachic world, uh, you see there's a range of different sources. And once you learn you know, from the beginning, you learn from the Gemara and the other sources, you can appreciate that not everything is so clear cut. And there is room for a lot of different opinions. And when you learn, let's say about whatever topic it is, you'll see that even if you do one thing and somebody else does something else, you'll be able to appreciate much better the basis for for the difference of uh, of everybody's uh, everybody's approach. And I'll also mention also that uh, the Tzermir Rabban is not necessarily meant to be a safer of Psaq. It's definitely a safer of Halacha, but in terms of Psaq, it was never meant to take the place of, of a Shul Rabbi or or somebody's personal posik or, or Halachic mentor. And specifically because of that, that's why we have the ability to go in and to offer different opinions to, and to offer different sources that take different stands because we're not trying to say this is what you should do or this is what the other person should do. So really, in that sense, is, is a positive a combination between learning the safer and then going to your Rav uh, or some person who gives the shear and discussing with them what should you do on a practical basis is a tremendous combination, I think. You mentioned before the, you know, some summaries. I noticed in the Hebrew, a lot of times at the end of the chapters, they would do a sikum uh, with a little chart. You guys don't do that as much, right? Am I right about that? Or you also do the charts? No. So the, the charts, uh, so I'll, I'll give you the, the current status of the charts. Originally, what they did is the Hebrew had like a summary at the end with, you know, different arrows and basically just yeah. told you on each line, this posik said this, and this source said that, and you know, this source is that, and this source is the halachic source, and this is what the Mishnaburah said, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, after the, after the actual keta from the Mishabur, whoever it was, they would have a page before you would go to the next chapter or the next subject. Oh, you had okay. everything where you just had like a, a, a synopsis. That we definitely do have. We actually have both in the English now. The summary has been there from the very beginning. If you look at all the volumes beginning from volume one and all the way through volume 15, which is about to come out now, after every chapter is always a summary of the major sources. And we try to put in all the sources we discussed, but if we can't get every last one, uh, almost all the major sources in the shear, uh, we try to have like a one or two line summary of uh, uh, of each one. So you can see to remind yourself to do Chazara, basically, view of, of what you learned in the shear. That's something that the Hebrew has had, and we also have tried very much to do that and to even add to it in the English version to have a very complete summary. In addition, we also have flowcharts, okay, which we started about, I think, about a year or so ago, where at least once in each shear, we have one section with uh, with a section of a flowchart where you'll have like a circle or a box with the Gemara on the top, and then a couple you know, lines underneath with arrows quoting, let's say, different Rishonim, and you know, also a summary, but in visual form. Many people like to have a visual format to see, oh, the, these three Rishonim had three different interpretations of the Gemara. So you'll have arrows to each one with a box, and then you can have another box underneath. Which one did the Shulchan Aruch follow? And how did the Mishnah Brura and the other modern postkim, or Moshe Feinstein, or Shlomo Zalman Orbach, whoever it is, where their box underneath, which source did they take their opinion from, and how did it develop in a, in a visual form? I think that's also something which is very important. And I think the charts are something for me personally that helps me to appreciate better the system of Psaq and how, how the halacha flows from one step to the next. The essays 
I, I didn't notice the essays in the Hebrew one. I noticed the, the essays in the English edition. I, I don't know if, um, and they're written by various Rabbonim students, uh, essays on a, a certain topic, more than just the, the halachic sources there. What was the idea of including those essays? Why, why did you think that was important? So the, the, the including, inclusion of the essays is, as you said, is only in the English. It's not in the Hebrew. Um, the essays are the contribution of the Bani Gutorni program. As I mentioned before, they're one of the three central partners to this Stormy uh, Rabbanon English enterprise. And the essays were all written by either students, not students, really Avrichim, Kola members of the Avri, uh, Mani Gutorni program, or after they went out to Shlichut, um, you know, uh, alumni of the program. The idea of the essays is essentially twofold. Number one, sometimes to give an explanation of a topic which is related to the topic of the shear, of each you know, shear uh, in the Tzorim Rabbanon volume, but maybe it was not addressed fully in, in, in the actual shear. Okay, so if you go through the topics, you'll find not always, but often that the topics are sort of additional information or a topic that wasn't fully addressed in the shear. And the essay is an, is an opportunity to go a little bit further. I think, for example, without going into this topic, because this is a whole other topic, but let's say, for example, one of the essays on Kashrut, uh, on Kashrut was about, you know, the, the, the newest invention of taking a clone meat, you know, DNA clone meat. And so one of the essays is about that, you know, with some interesting Piskehalacha and some interesting sources. That's not something that we spoke about in the Shir at all, but it certainly is based on some of the sources about Basar Vachalov. That's one, one element of the essays. And the second element of the essays is to take even for topics that were already discussed in the shear to give it a little bit of an extra and added breadth of, uh, of sources of uh, an additional perspective that we didn't have in the shear. Perhaps, let's say, if we quoted three Rishonim or two Rishonim in the shear, so they'll expand a little more and give you the full length of the five Rishonim or something like that, you know, the range of different opinions or in the practical halakhic form or might be an element of analysis, something extra even of the same topic of the shear that wasn't present 100% in the shear uh, and sometimes is developed a little bit further or in a different way. Right. So, but, but as you realize, there is sort of a, although it's, it might be interesting, we know even the term essay, I think, in, in its original meaning is all about um, displaying, you know, your your ability to do something, right? It's, it's, it isn't necessarily a halacha psuka these these young men who are writing these essays are speculating, who are thinking, who are developing something, who, who are making a possible assumption. You know, they, it, it has to stand obviously very different than the solid halachic sources that are part of your makayres, right? Those are those are viewed totally different. So it's almost like a different mindset has to be for the person reading it. I guess what I'm saying is, you know, you know, it, it's a nice compliment. But it seems to sort of be a little bit different than what the Sefer was meant to do. In the different Chaburas and the different Shurim that are given, which we didn't talk about at all, by the way, but, you know, the Tzorim Rabban is certainly is, is learned in at least 50 to 60 different locations in, in the United States right now, plus many more in, uh, across the world in addition to schools. Um, but they don't go through the essays, okay? The essays is not the part that they, they teach, at least in most cases, in the Shir. Um, when I've taught Tzorim Rabban, and I refer to it from time to time, but I don't teach it either. That's the additional material for somebody who's interested in exploring certain aspects of the topic further or would appreciate more of the analytical side of what you mentioned, which is not necessarily going through and finding out what the bottom line is, you know, what we discuss in, in the shear itself, but somebody wants something a little bit more, a bit of a different style. That's the additional additional information, uh, which is not the main part of the book. It's not meant to be the main, uh, the main focus. What I would say is just like, you know, footnotes and appendixes in the back, I would probably put them in the back as opposed to, again, 
for my two cents, you know. In other words, instead of being at the end of every section, like in the meat and potatoes of the sources, you, you can say, look at the in the back of the book, there will be essays relevant to that subject. No, I'm impressed by the topics. I'll sometimes look at the topic, but I very rarely read the essays. And again, this is really a simple point, but I think it really it really talks about the serendipity and and the mikra aspect of everything. You know, I asked you the first volume. I believe it would it had Ibn Avaim, Gerus. Uh, uh, yeah, the second volume. The second volume. What was the first volume again? What was that about? Uh, we started from the Halachas of Avodah Zarah and then a yeah. few other things afterwards. I think right. it might have been. So uh, the first one was Halachas of Avodah Zarah and, and, right. and, 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 you know, and other things about, you know, dolls and other uh, yeah. bringing into the house and statues. And I was, well, well that's an interesting place to start. And you, you, you explained to me that even though that's volume one, and it's not necessarily where everybody wants to begin their halachic life. And, and, and what was the reason for that? Okay, so I'll give two, two answers to your question. Uh, the, the technical answer, the, the historically <laughs> true answer is that uh, at the time that we started that volume, we thought originally, we discussed where to start from exactly. We had thought that it would be nice to have uh, the original format, which is to have every shir, every chabur being given would be basically on a weekly basis, um, which is what's done in Israel. They should be on the same the same page and the same schedule as the Hebrew. And at the time that we were ready to publish the first volume, we thought that we were going to have the Hebrew Sorba series, their calendar was up to that part of your day. Again, the way that the Sorba Shirim work is that it goes in order of the Shulchan Aruch. So Hilchas Avodah is right in the middle of your day. It's Kufnun Aleph, I think, or somewhere around there, Kufnun, Kufnantes, um, that, that area. After that, it basically goes according to the order of the Shulchan Aruch. That's where they're up to in the Hebrew. So we thought that we would follow along with the Hebrew and people across the world would be learning the same topics at the same pace at the same time. In the end, it turned out that it didn't quite work that way and the English program slowed down and not everybody did it exactly at the same pace, which is totally fine. Uh, now, of course, in hindsight, it looks uh, interesting that, that we started from there. That's the technical reason. But the other reason, which again, maybe this is also as part of the Siyat Dishmaya. And I think we spoke about this also in the past a couple of weeks ago, is that, as you said, not, not everybody learns some of these topics. We've learned about Shiloh uh, HaKain, you know, sending away a mother bird, uh, Avodah Zarah, some of the other interesting topics that are in there in that section of, of uh, Yoradea. Those topics do not always get learned by either people in Yeshiva or Balabatim in any format. And I think what came out from this, in hindsight, and maybe with a little Siyat Dishmaya, Hashkach Pratis, is that people were able to learn through topics that otherwise they never would have touched at all and certainly not learn inside with sources. Uh, we also spoke about there about, uh, about Peos, Peot HaRosh and Peot HaZakan. You know, that was also a topic. Those topics are not things that people learn on a you know, regular basis. So that opportunity actually ended up being a great opportunity for people to study you know, in depth with sources some of these halachic topics that otherwise they would never get to. And from there, we moved forward from the end of Yoradea. We went to the end of Yoradea through uh, Hilchus Avelis. And then we went back to the beginning of Yoradea. We said, once we're doing Yoradea, we'll go back to the beginning. But again, you know, along the way, there were many different topics that people learned that otherwise people that learn halacha, but they generally only learn orachaim and maybe kashras. And that's about it. So now, thank God, people have an opportunity to learn many more things as well. The idea that we do it on our own pace, we're part of a network of people doing it this way, already creates the community. It doesn't have to be that, you know, oh, in Israel, they're learning that same halacha. I, I think it, it's, it's, it's healthy, important, and uh, empowering that you don't feel the pressure. Oh, where are you? Have you moved on yet? I really think it's one of the things that is disconcerting and, and wrong about the whole Dafyomi program is the pressure to finish, the pressure not to understand. The fact that here you have each Chabura, like you say, they can 
the, the, the people who are buying these volumes can decide among themselves which volume it is that they want to uh, zero in on. They might even not want not whatever chaluk they want to start with. I think that's something that what I'm trying to say is I think the mindset of we're part of the group, I'm happy to see that being diffused and, and dismantled. I think that that is, you know, I think that's that, that's healthy. You, you know, we're all part of the, we're all part of that worldwide group. We're all, we all have these little calendars. I don't know. Again, I know that people who run organizations love the fact that everybody, they like to be able to hold their dinners and be able to put out their newsletters and say, oh, everybody, we're all finishing this volume and look at the worldwide seum that we've made on, on this, et cetera, including uh, outfits that I work for, like Deershu, that I and I've been getting working for them. But I'm very happy that 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 Surba actually brings a, a greater individuality for the group that is deciding to learn it. I don't know if I don't know if your superiors would be so happy with that, but I think that that's great. You know, and they can't wait. And and when they meet other Surbaniks, they'll say, "Oh, which one are you doing?" Oh, right. they can actually enjoy the fact that they are part of the same uh, high, they're on the same sort of highway, but in a different state. Oh, wait till you get to Montana. Oh, well, you should see what what what, what Colorado looks like. I think that's actually like, like meeting in a rest area someplace. And one's going in one direction, one's going the other. But there's a certain uh, camaraderie that I think can develop, even if they're not all in the same place. Because of the way that we built the English, it's actually possible for individuals to do it on their own with much of the information there. And you can have people that decide on their own at their own rate, or they don't have a shear near them. They don't have any halacha shear near them. They can basically go through, order the book themselves on Amazon and go through it themselves, as you said, at their own pace and, and not feel that they have to rush right. somewhere. Uh, and that's an amazing, amazing advantage that you know many programs don't have. It's not usually, yes, you can learn Mishnabrura, but if you don't know how to learn Mishnabrura well, it's very hard to do it on your own. Here, everything is explained very, very well. And you really, essentially with you know with not quite as much background can go through uh whichever volume you want at your own pace at your own time my, my son my older son says you know i he just wants to learn it on his own he just wants to get right. the volume yeah. right and i think that that is a, a wonderful statement about how successful you've been ellie you've given me so much time and we've learned so much i have about how this magnificent uh program has how it developed and how it's you know you're talking eventually about 30 volumes is that what you're talking about roughly yeah that's the that's the goal roughly 30 volumes we'll see and then and then it goes then it gets into the hard cover that's going to make the big bar mitzvah present for people we'll see god willing one day hopefully that will be available you now have a way to work in what you love and if what you work in what you love there's really no stopping a person there's no stopping person yeah. to frustration. Absolutely. And that's the reason why the Torah is like the Oinig Ruchne, you know, Rav Chaim Kanievsky's who just passed away. Um, they both said that people who are really B'nai Torah don't realize, he says, they have a great Oilam Hazen. <laughs> Oilam Hazen is tremendous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oilam is tremendous, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, they don't get it. You know, you, that's what Tevli Tevraspit Kamei Alfei Zovikasav. That's what David Melech Mentor Chaim Kanievsky said. It's not says even the people who who have who are in business who are supporting Tevra, they don't know how great they have it. They don't realize that the modest means and the sitting and learning and enjoying what you're doing is such is is is, is an einig <laughs> that replicates. Uh, you almost think yeah. I, I don't even deserve Ilam Haba. I have it. So <laughs> I'm so. 
And I'm so happy for you and for all the team. So that's it, my friends. Thank you so much, Ellie, for giving us so much time. And again, a great, a great big plug. Go on to Amazon. A little more expensive than it used to be, but it's definitely worth it. It's 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 supporting and providing uh, not only Parnosa for people, but it's also generating a product that Yearbook of Moisei Bistro. Take everybody. We'll see you again. Thank you very, very much. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 